Welcome to this week's podcast by Celebration Church Rarotonga. We believe this message will empower and equip you to live a life of breakthrough. Thanks for joining us. God's put a word on my heart this morning and I, I pray that his heart comes forth out of this word. I pray that you encounter Jesus this morning in this word. But I believe God is stirring our hearts in a greater way to come closer to him, to come more deeply in relationship with him. I feel like, and this is not just us, and I know it's worldwide, God is preparing his church. We are in the last days. We're in the last days of the last days. We're in the close of the age. Now, I don't know you know, days or hours or anything like that. But that witness bears true with every born-again believer that we're at the close of the age and Jesus is coming back soon. And he's coming back for his bride, his beautiful bride, which is the church. And I want to bring out this morning a message on the bride. And I know in Christchurch um, they're having gatherings uh, three night or three times a weekend, Friday night, Saturday night. Sunday morning, gathering together as a church because God is calling the church in, into intimacy, into a greater revelation of Jesus, into his presence. And um, they've been talking about the bride and God's been speaking to me about the bride. And I want to bring out what he's been showing me this morning. I feel that uh, that whole thing about identity, I believe for us as a church here, that I believe God is wanting to... Open our eyes to our identity in him, who we really are in Christ. We're no longer the person that we once were when we were born of our mother and father. We're no longer that old nature. When we were born of the flesh, I was born to Kath and Terry Monday. When I was born to them, I had a nature. I had a a way of living, I had fleshly desires, I had a carnal nature and selfish nature and evil nature inside of me. I had desires for things that were wrong. They were part of the Adamic nature that came right back in the beginning when Adam and Eve fell in sin. And it's been passed down from generation to generation, that iniquity and that sinful nature in each one of us. And Romans tells us we've all fallen short. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the righteousness and glory of God. We're all sinful. But when on that day I met Jesus for the very first time, I encountered Jesus and gave him my life, a whole new creation came inside of me. I was born again, born again, a newborn, a newborn, a freshborn, a born-again person of the living God. No longer was it the old person, the old nature, the sinful. It was the God nature inside of me. Jesus came and dwelt inside of me by his Holy Spirit, and a whole new creation has come. And now my identity is not the old person that I once was. It's the new person that I am in Christ. It's the new creation. You know when you go to Vonia's and you're planting, heaps of people are planting at the moment, and you pick out a packet of seeds and you might see a watermelon packet of seeds. And on the front of that packet you see a beautiful lush watermelon, maybe cut in half, juicy, looks delicious, looks awesome. And you think, yeah, that's what I want. I want a beautiful watermelon in my garden. And then you open up the packet and what do you see? A little black, tiny shiny seed. It doesn't look like what's on the packet. When we first give our heart to Jesus, when we first encounter Jesus, it's like that black tiny seed on the inside of us. But the more we grow in him, the more we feed on his word, his supernatural life-giving word that changes us. Romans talks about how it changes us. It transforms us into the image of Christ. When we feed upon this word daily, like bread, every day we take the bread, it makes us strong. We start off with the milk and we're hungry 
I remember when I first gave my heart to Jesus, I was hungry for God. I was in the Catholic Church. No offense to the Catholic Church, but I wasn't being fed. But I was hungry. I was like the starving newborn baby not being fed. And I, would, I had a Bible and I'd read what I could. I think mainly Proverbs. I started in Proverbs and Psalms. That's where I started in the Word of God. But I was hungry. I remember having my cousin come down same age as me, from Palmerston North, and I'll be all up night reading, this is the word of God. Proverbs says this, Proverbs, and I'm trying to share with her what I'm feeling in my spirit, and she wasn't saved, and she must have thought I was nuts because I took her along. Oh, that was another story, but anyway. The milk of the word, the bread of the word, the solid meat of the word. And um, I feel like God's given me a word about us as a church that he wants us to be on the solid meat. And you know how we get on the solid meat? Through constant use. We can't just dibble and dabble. We can't just Sunday, oh, that was a good word. We have to feast on the word. We have to dig into the word. It's the word of God that makes us strong. It's the word of God that changes us. It's the word of God that nourishes that seed into the beautiful watermelon. It's the, it's the water of the word that washes that seed and causes it to grow. It's the water of the word. It's the meat of the word that feeds it. You know what meat does? It, it gives us iron. It gives us strength. If we want to be a strong church in these times, these uncertain times, these unprecedented times, <laughs> we're hearing that, aren't we, in the media? Unprecedented times, uncertain times. The world is in fear. The world doesn't even know what's going on. The world is in turmoil. They try this thing, they say this thing, then they change their mind and say that thing. We lock down this, we open up this, we lock... You know what I'm saying? The world is in turmoil. The world is in fear. The world is in crisis mode. But those who are planted on the rock, those who know Jesus Christ will be strong. We know the end of the story. We know the end of the story. The end of the story is this, that King Jesus, our Redeemer, our Lord, the King of the universe, the King, the majestic King is going to come back to this earth. He's going to draw his saints, his bride to him. There's going to be an awesome, awesome wedding feast like never, ever before. And then the King is going to come on his white horse to the nations and bring judgment on all the wickedness and all the sin and all the evil that's ever existed on this earth. And he's going to reign and rule with his bride his church that's the end of the story and I was in worship today I love the worship thanks team and guys and I was just picturing I can't remember the words but it was just beautiful the the Jesus is coming back for his church his bride he loves us he's passionate he's he's um, passionately in love with us and he wants to awaken our heart to be passionately in love with him. He wants to stir up the desire for him inside of us. He wants to stir the flames of fire on the inside of us, that we would love him more than any other thing, that we would desire him more than any other thing, that we would follow him and only him. We wouldn't worry about the noise and the clamor and the storms that come and go. We would have our eyes fixed on Jesus, the lover of our soul. He's our strong one. He's our secure one. He's our faithful one. He's our protector. He's our provider. He will not let us go through anything that we cannot handle with him. We are safe in his arms. We are safe with Jesus. God wants his church strong, not blown about by every wind of doctrine, by everything that comes across the news or on social media. Did you hear this? Did you hear that? Is this is happening? Oh, they're saying this. Don't, don't go there. Don't listen to that stuff. Listen to the word of God. Dig on the word of God. Let that be your nourishment. Let that be your feeding. Amen? All right. So let's get into the word. <laughs> I want to talk about the greatest romance ever. 
ever. The greatest romance ever. You know, when a couple fall in love, there is such passion, such desire. I remember I said some amazing things to Jonathan when we first fell in love. Some of them that are kind of embarrassing to repeat to anyone else because I was awakened with love. Now, I love, <laughs> I love my husband, and we've walked together in marriage for over 30 years now, and the love and passion is still there. But those early days, you know, when you see the new couple and them, they're glowing. They just don't see, they don't see anybody else. Their eyes are fixed on each other. They don't notice anybody else. Well, I want to tell you, that is the love that Jesus has for his bride his church. His eyes are fixed on you. I want to bring out of the word this morning the marriage process that's taking place in our in history but in, in the future to come that is based upon the Jewish traditional or biblical traditional wedding. Um, how we do weddings today in the Western world is very different on how they did weddings in the biblical time. But how they did weddings in the biblical time is a picture of what Jesus is doing for his bride. And it's the greatest romance ever because no one loves you like Jesus loves you. When you get a taste of his love for you, it transforms you completely. The very first encounter I had with Jesus, I was seven years old. But you know what? When I encountered him, it changed me for the rest. I am where I am today because of that very first encounter I had with Jesus. I felt so light on the inside. I felt so clean. All my sin had been washed away. The sexual stuff that had gone on pre-seven years of age in my life, the stealing and the thieving and the guilty conscience for the bad language I said as a six-year-old and a five-year-old. I was a dirty, rotten sinner at seven years of age. And Jesus came, I encountered Jesus, and I felt washed clean. I remember saying, skipping across the road, holding my father's hand after that uh, service I came out of, I said, I feel so clean. I feel like I've been washed on the inside. I feel so happy. I feel so light. Those were the emotions that I felt in that very first encounter with Jesus Christ. And those of you who have encountered Jesus have all got your story of how you change on the inside, how something beautiful takes place and your heart is awakened with love for Jesus because you have first met him, you've met his love for you. God wants to rekindle in our hearts that passion and desire and love for him. He wants us to have a fresh revelation of how much he loves us. And we, we walk in his love. We don't want the old nature anymore. We don't want to sin. We don't want to commit immorality. We don't want to get caught in those sinful ways because the new nature is alive and it's pure and it's beautiful and it's awakened to Jesus. Amen. So the beginning of the Bible starts with a wedding, a groom and a bride, Adam and Eve. And at the end of the Bible, it ends with the marriage of the lamb. This word is a love story. It's a love story between God and humanity. It's the love of God to have relationship with every single person on this earth. I love in Psalms 139 where it talks about before you were born, I knew you. Before you were born, God knew you. He called you by name. He knew you before you were born. You were in his heart before you were even born in this earth. He chose you to be a part of his bride, his love companion, right from before you were born. You are here on this earth now because he chose you. He wanted you to be here. He loves us. And at the end of the word of God, we see that beautiful marriage ceremony. I'm going to read it. Revelation 19, 6 to 9. Then I heard, this is from the Passion Version of the Bible, 
It's a beautiful version because it's full of passion. (laughs) Then I heard what seemed to be the thunderous voice of a great multitude. Imagine this, a thunderous voice of a great multitude. Millions of people, the voice coming forth, like a sound of a massive waterfall. Have you ever been in a massive waterfall? The Hooker Falls, Niagara Falls, um, it roars, it's deafening, it's powerful. Like the sound of a massive waterfall and mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt him and give him glory because the wedding celebration of the Lamb has come and his bride, that's you and me, have made herself ready. Fine linen, shining bright and clear, has been given to her to wear and the fine linen represents the righteous deeds of his holy believers. At the end of the age, there's going to be a beautiful, powerful, incredible celebration between Christ, the bridegroom, the king of all kings, and his church, the bride. And we're in the stage of preparation. We're in the stage of being made ready. And how we get made ready is feeding on his word, and by his Holy Spirit inside of us, changing us into the image of God. And as we walk in his spirit, we are purified, we are made righteous, we are cleansed, we are without spot or blemish. I feel like that God wants us to come up in our, in our minds, because that's where it all starts, of how we live life. Come up and see who he is in you. Come up and focus on the heavenly things. Come up and think about Jesus and what he is doing. When you feast your mind on the supernatural, powerful things of God, when you feast your mind on his love for you, you are changed. You're not down in the mud anymore. You're not down in the manure and the stinky stuff. You're seeing yourself as a beautiful bride, washed and clean and radiant and joyful and excited and passionate and happy and desiring your king. It's a different person. It's a different life. That's where Jesus wants us to be living. That's where Jesus wants us to be reigning. And so often we get caught up in the natural things, in the busy things, in the non-essential things, the things that don't count, the things that will not matter. But God wants us focusing on the eternal things. And I believe there's a cutting away in the spirit for us, if you're here, of the things that do not matter around our life. God wants us not to get absorbed. You know, I think it's even interesting, okay, the island's on shutdown, there's no tourists, But why are people as busy as they ever were? Why are people just like, this course, that course, this course? Do you know what? It's the plan. Don't get me wrong, and I'm not saying those things are wrong. But the enemy knows that if he can keep us busy, we're not evaluating the real issues of life. We're not asking the real questions. We're not talking about eternal things because we're so busy doing the stuff of this earth. That's not what God wants for his church. He wants his church in him. He wants his church awakened to him. Eternity is forever and ever and ever. And this is what we're being prepared for. And all the natural stuff's going to pass away. Even your natural marriage is going to pass away. Even your relationship as mum and dad to kids is going to pass away. Everything in the natural is going to pass away. 
and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to reign and rule with Christ for eternity, and it's a whole nother world, and it's a whole nother realm, and it's a whole nother scenario that we're being prepared for. But the spirit of the living God inside of us is awakening us to that and calling us up because the word tells us that we can reign and rule now with him in the spirit. Amen? All right. The high call of the church, the people of God, is to be the bride of Christ. Now, we're called sons of God. It's not about gender. It's about inheritance. As sons, you inherit. The bride of Christ is not about female. It's about partnership. It's about oneness. It's about covenant love. It's about passionate relationship. It's about intimacy. So when I'm talking about the bride, don't you men switch off and think, I'm a man and I'm a bride. No, you've got to see the spiritual understanding. It's not about female. It's about, in fact, Jerusalem is female. Israel is female. The people of God, they're referred to as her. Um, Babylon is female, the counterfeit. You know, it's, it's, it's the counterpart. We are the counterpart with God. We are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. We are the bride of Christ. We are equal with him, not because of us, but because of him. So the high calling of the church, the people of God, is to be the bride of Christ. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, let's go there. It talks about marriage, husbands love your wives, give yourself up for her, sacrifice, cherish her, love her, nurture her, wives submit to your husband. Hey, we all know that scripture. (laughs) But I want to tell you men that you won't have any problems with your wife submitting to you if you love and cherish and give yourself up for her. There won't be any problem. Um, Just throw that in. (laughs) But I really want to say in the last part of this passage, Paul talks about, he says this, the same way the church is devoted to Christ, let the wives be devoted to their husbands and everything. And husbands, you are to demonstrate love for your wives with the same tender devotion that Christ demonstrated to us, his bride. For he died for us, sacrificing himself to make us holy and pure, cleansing us through the showering of the pure water of the word of God. All that he does in us is designed to make us a mature church for his pleasure until we become a source of praise to him, glorious and radiant, beautiful and holy, without fault or flaw. Goes down and says, For this reason, a man is to leave his father and mother and loving hold to his wife, since the two have become joined as one flesh. That comes out of Genesis before... Adam and Eve even had a mother or father. Marriage is the beautiful design of the Almighty, a great and sacred mystery, meant to be a vivid example of Christ and his church. What Paul is saying here is I'm talking about natural relationships, how God designed marriage to be husbands and wives and the different roles they play. But I'm not really talking about natural relationships because it's only a picture, it's only a mirror of the true marriage, the eternal marriage, the heavenly marriage between Christ and his church. He says it's a mystery. It hadn't been revealed yet. I want to tell you, in these last days, God is revealing the revelation of the marriage to Christ, the revelation of the bride and the church. And God is wanting us to recognize that we are his bride. We are equal to Christ in Christ. We are his partner. We are his lover. We are called to divine purpose, one purpose with him. It's a covenant love that lifts us up into a whole new realm and a whole new place.
So we go to look at Jewish weddings. There's three parts to a Jewish wedding. You know, Western wedding, we have an engagement and we have a wedding ceremony. It's pretty much how it operates. In a Jewish uh, wedding, there were three parts. The first part is called Shadukim, and it's the marriage arrangement made by the father of the groom, and the groom would pay the bride price. So it was the organisation, the fathers of families would get together and the father of the groom would choose a bride for his son. And the son would pay the bride price for the bride. That is what has happened. God chose you. God, our Heavenly Father, saw you, knew you before you were born. He chose you for his son, to be married to his son. And the son has paid the price for you. Now, in the, these old days, they would pay a price like jewellery, gold. Remember Isaac and Rebekah, and the servant went out and he gave Rebekah heaps of gold to put on her. It was the bride price. Jesus' price for you is the highest price that's ever been paid by a groom. He gave his life for you. He was beaten, he was tortured, he was shredded on his back, he was knifed in the side. He gave up his life, he took your sin, he took your iniquity, he took your shame, he took your sickness, he took it all on himself and gave himself up, he laid down his life. The word of God says, no greater love has a man than to give his life for someone. That's what the bride price was for you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The second part, of a Jewish wedding was called the betrothal. In Hebrew, it was called arusin. It's a betrothal ceremony. We probably could relate it a little bit to engagement, but at that point of betrothal, you, the covenant was made. You couldn't divorce, well, you couldn't, if you wanted to separate after betrothal, it was a divorce. Remember, Joseph talked about divorcing Mary when he found out she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. That was in the betrothal period. You can't, once you made that betrothal, it was legally binding, it was forever. Um, the first part of the betrothal ceremony that they would do with the groom and the bride would be separately immersed in water. It was a ritual called mikvah, and it symbolized spiritual cleaning. So the guys would get together, and the groom would go down into the water and be cleansed. The girls would get together, and the bride would go down into the water and be cleansed. Jesus at the Jordan. Remember, John said, why are you getting baptized? You're God, you know what I mean? You're, you're without sin. But he said, I must do this so that righteousness be fulfilled. He went through the immersion into water as the groom, as to be cleansed for his bride. And then uh, Mark 16, 16, whoever believes the good news and is baptized will be saved. And whoever does not believe the good news will be condemned. In other words, the church, the believers, the saints, the bride is called to go into the waters of baptism. Once they both were immersed in water and cleansed, the covenant was formed. That was, that was it. And from that point, the betrothal cannot break the covenant unless you divorce. Paul had a revelation on, Paul was never married, but he, God gave him a revelation of the eternal marriage. It's quite incredible, really. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 2 to 4, I'll read you this passage. It says, you need to know that God's passion, this is in Paul, is burning inside of me for you because like a loving father, this is Paul, a spiritual father, to the believers, I have pledged your hand in marriage to Christ. 
your true bridegroom. In other words, he's saying, I'm burning with passion because I want to see you be the bride. I want to see you look beautiful. I want to see you radiant. I want to see you in purity. I, as a spiritual father that led you to the Lord, I had this burning passion. I think one version says, I am jealous for you. I'm, I'm jealous. What is it? I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy. It says, but now I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's clever lies, your thoughts may be corrupted and you may lose your single-hearted devotion and pure heart for Christ. That was his burden, that the church, the bride, would not lose its passion for Christ, would not lose its single-hearted devotion. And he said, why? For you seem to gladly tolerate anyone who comes to you preaching a pseudo-Jesus not the Jesus we have preached. You have accepted a spirit and a gospel that is false rather than the spirit and the gospel you once embraced. How tolerant you have become of these imposters. The End Times talks about false apostles, false teachers, false church. And I want to tell you, we need to be in the mature Christians in the word of God because it says we'll be able to discern good from evil. But there are messages that are going out across the world today in churches that are false. Like, you can continue in sin because Jesus has paid the price for your sin and it's all right to live how you want to live. But that's not the message of the gospel. God's grace will cover you. That's not the message of the gospel. When Jesus comes inside and you are, you are born again, you want to walk right with God. You want to repent of your sin. We may battle to get the victory, and the grace of God is there for that, but what I'm saying is the heart is single focus towards Jesus. We want to leave the old stuff behind. We're not using the grace of God as an excuse to live how we want to live in sinful ways. Amen? Yeah. All right. Now, once the betrothal begins, they go on to the hut called the hoopah or chupa. <laughs> and the groom gives the bride something valuable to seal the covenant. He used, uh, one of the things, and I think they still do it today in Orthodox Jews, they give a ring. On that ring is often inscribed, I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. And in there is actually an acrostic, which means elor. Elul in the Jewish calendar is the time of preparation. John the Baptist came before Christ. It was Elul. It was repentance. It was preparing your heart for Christ. In the Jewish calendar, I think they're in Elul now. They're in preparation for the Messiah. That's what the calendar is. So he gives the ring as a sign and a reminder, be prepared, be ready, get ready for the, for the wedding. Or a cup of wine. What is the new wine? New wine of the covenant, my Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit from Jesus when he ascended is our seal of our covenant with him. Preparing us for the wedding ceremony. It's the Holy Spirit that prepares us. He does the internal work. He takes away the desire for sin. He changes our motivation. He convicts us when we're going off. He draws us in love towards Jesus. He awakens our heart towards him. It's the Holy Spirit, the gift from Jesus as the seal of his covenant with us. 2 Corinthians 1.21 Now it is God himself who has anointed us and he is constantly strengthening both you and us in union with Christ. In union with Christ. He knows we are his, since he has also stamped his seal of love over our hearts and has given us the Holy Spirit like an engagement ring is given to a bride, a down payment of the blessing to come. How many of you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Isn't it just the most beautiful thing? How many of you have been drunk in the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Isn't it the most beautiful thing? 
I, uh, I tell you, when you are filled and overflowing with the Holy Spirit, there is so much joy, there's so much delight, there's so much happiness and passion. Like, no one wants old wine. No one wants the world's wine because the Spirit, Holy Spirit, is all, I don't know, it's overwhelming. That is a taste given as a foretaste of what is to come in the eternal relationship with God. We are going to be so ecstatic. We're going to be so celebrating. We're going to be so rejoicing. It says there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more grief. There will be no more pain. There will be no more heartache. All of that's going to be washed away. We're only getting a glimpse when you're in the presence of the Holy Spirit and how beautiful and overwhelming and powerful it is. It's only just a glimpse of what is to come in eternity. Amazing. During this betrothal period, after the ceremony, the groom leaves the bride and goes back to his father's house and prepares a home for his bride. It was usually for around one or two years the groom would go back to his father's house and he would either build a home on his father's property or extend his father's home, build an extension for him and his bride to come and stay in. John 14.1, talking about Jesus, this is what he said, Don't worry or surrender to your fear, for you have believed in God. Now trust and believe in me also. My father's house has many dwelling places. If it were otherwise, I would tell you plainly, because I go to prepare a place for you to rest. And when everything is ready, I will come back and take you to myself so that you will be where I am. And you already know the way to the place where I'm going. And then in Matthew 24, 36, it says, Concerning that day and exact hour, no one knows when it will arrive, not even the angels of heaven, only the Father knows. So what would happen would be the groom would go back to his father's house and start building a house for his bride. He would not decide, hey, it's time for the wedding. The father would say, okay, son, it's time. It's time to go. The father made the decision. And when the father made the decision, the groom and his wedding party would travel back to the bride's house for the wedding ceremony. That's what's going to happen, church. Mm. While the groom was gone, the bride would prepare herself for the return of the groom and the wedding. For that reason, the bride always kept oil in her lamps ready just in case he came in the night, sounding the chauffeur to lead the bride procession to the home he had prepared for her. And she would work on her dress, getting her dress ready, and she would work on preparing her, um, the oil. She would make sure she had oil. We know in Matthew 25, I'm not going to go into all of that, but the ten virgins... Ten virgins, purified ones. Five made it to the bride, five didn't. The five that didn't, didn't have oil. Didn't have oil. They could have had oil. They chose not to have oil. Why did they not have oil? Because they didn't buy the oil. It says, when Jesus was coming back, they said to him, let us buy some of your oil. Not give us some of your oil. Let us buy some of your oil. And they said, no too late. <laughs> Buy the oil. Buy the oil. There's a price for the anointing. There's a price for the Holy Spirit. We don't just waltz on in, if you know what I mean. We pay a price. What is the price? The price is death to ourself. Take up your cross daily. Take up your cross and follow me. Give up your life Surrender yourself. Put to death the selfish nature. Pay the price for the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. And you will be the bride. Without the oil, there is no bride. It's, it's a, it's the, the groom wouldn't come back if the bride didn't have an oil. The groom wouldn't come back if the bride didn't have a dress. <laughs> Not coming back to a naked harlot. 
not coming back to a, a, a woman that's throwing herself around and not caring. She's particular about the dress. Every bride I know like the dress. Man, the dress is the main thing. Oh my goodness. It's got to be perfect. It's how she's always drinked it. It's, you know what I mean? It's, there's such an importance placed on that wedding garment. In the heavenly realm, there's such an importance placed on that wedding garment. What are you dressed in? Talks about the righteous deeds of his holy people. It's righteousness. The wedding gown is righteousness, not our human effort. I'm not talking about running around like chickens with our heads cut off trying to do all these good works. It's not that. It's letting Christ be formed in you. It's doing every day what he tells you to do. It's listening for his voice. It's obedience. That's the righteous deeds. That's your wedding garment. Okay. Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. I had an encounter with God, I don't know, 15 years ago maybe, maybe longer, where I was on my face in the church, second row, just not there but there, weeping before Jesus, over the filth, uh, I don't know how to explain it, because spiritual encounters are hard to put into words, but I felt like Jesus was pulling out these rags out of inside of me. And I realized by revelation that everything I thought was good about myself was not good. Everything about Natasha was ugly, filthy, disgusting. Even the very best that I could do was not good enough. It was still dirty before God. The only good in me was him in me. The only righteous in me was him in me. The only beauty in me was him in me. It wasn't my flesh nature. It wasn't my humansness. But so often we try to better ourselves. So often we try to be the better person. We try, you know what I mean? All this you know, improve ourselves, you can do better, da-da-da-da-da, all that motivational rubbish. (laughs) That's what it is. Because it's filthy rags. It might be trying to be white, but it's still dirty and scummy, and it's not the real thing. The only way we are pure, the only way we are righteous is because of Christ inside of us. We've got to put to death our old man, our old nature. We've got to recognize that our fleshly efforts are just, they're not going to cut the mustard. They're not going to do the job. It's Christ, and it's a revelation. (laughs) We must continually crucify the self-nature and let the Holy Spirit shine through us if we want to be a ready bride. Every day... Ask the Holy Spirit to fill us, to change us, to make us holy, to enable us. This is what I pray. I say, Holy Spirit, fill me today. Holy Spirit, let me shine you today. Holy Spirit, let me have your thoughts today. Holy Spirit, give me your heart of compassion today. It's not what I can try and conjure up. Holy Spirit, move through me. Let me radiate you. When we were in the presence of the Lord this morning, we were singing about going into the Holy of Holies, the throne room. I was thinking about the fragrance of the Lord, his perfume. It talks in Song of Solomon's about his perfume. You know, we can carry the perfume of Christ. That when we get around people, they smell, <laughs> they, they sense the aroma. You know what I'm saying? We, I don't know, we emanate his presence. We diffuse his presence. It's trying to put into natural words spiritual things, but you know when you're in the presence of somebody that is close to God, right? You know when you're around somebody that's carrying the love of Jesus. 
something about them just impacts you. You can, it just invades you. You feel, wow, something different about this person. This person's carrying the love of Jesus. This person makes me feel wanted, accepted, loved. That's, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the beauty of Christ. That's, yeah. The third part of the ceremony is called the Nisuin. Nisuin means to take. It comes from the word nasu. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but nasu, to lift up. Speaking of the rapture. Jesus, our king, the bridegroom, is going to come back and lift up his bride to him. Lift us up. Lift up. If you've fallen asleep, what I mean is if you've died, that's okay. He's going to lift you up too. It doesn't matter whether we're dead or on this earth, we're going to be lifted up as the bride to him. In the Jewish wedding, what would happen? The father would say it's time. The groom and his wedding party with much noise and celebration and blowing of the shofar, the groom would come and collect the bride and her party and they would all go to the groom's home and they would recite a blessing and finalise the vows. This wedding feast usually lasted seven full days. Seven days. Full of food, music, dancing and celebration. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 But the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet, the shofar of God and the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we will always be with the Lord. That is the end picture that is the wedding ceremony that is what we've got to look forward to that is the most important day of your life that is the most important day we talk about our natural wedding the most important day of the you know the girl's life the wedding ceremony with Christ is the most important day of your life it's the thing we're meant to be focusing on. It's the thing that we're meant to be looking forward to. It's the thing that we're meant to be preparing our hearts for by the Holy Spirit. I just love what God has done. It's such a beautiful, um, I don't know, picture, story. It's incredible. And I'm praying as I'm reading into the Word and digging into the Word, Lord, reveal yourself to me. Reveal your heart to me. You know, when you encounter the love heart of Jesus, it changes us. It softens us. It, it fills us with joy. It fills us with passion. We desire him more than any other thing. We don't want the stuff. We realize, you know, that the stuff of this earth is so meaningless. It's so futile. I just want to close on this passage of scripture, which I actually feel like is a word for us as a church. As I read this, I'll, I'll break it down, but Colossians 3, 1 to 11, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. When Christ rose from the dead and overcame sin, you overcame sin. When Christ rose from the dead and overcame sickness, you overcame sickness. God's resurrection, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. This is why we are to yearn for all that is above for that's where Christ sits, enthroned, at the place of all power, honour and authority. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not with the distraction of the natural realm. Amen. Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life. And now your true life is hidden away in God and Christ. Your crucifixion. Not just Christ's crucifixion, but your crucifixion. When he died on the cross, you died on the cross. Your sinful nature died. Your sickness died. Your, you were there. You were there. 
And as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, you who really are, who you really are, will also be revealed. For you are now one with him in his glory. Who you really are in Christ will be revealed. Live as one who has died to every form of sexual sin and impurity. Put it to death. It's dead. Live as one who has died to diseases. In other words, diseases have died at the cross. Live in health. Live in life. Live as one who died to diseases and desires for forbidden things. It's talking about the occult, magic, supernatural things from the dark realm, including, here we go, the desire for wealth, which is the essence of idol worship. How much does money and the pursuit of wealth have our heart, church? How much are we running after the things of this world, trying to prove ourselves, trying to get better, trying to get greater? I'm not saying having wealth is bad, hear me now, but if that's the pursuit of our heart, we've missed the mark. God will bless us. He's told us that in abundance, more than enough. He will always provide. But our pursuit is him. We pursue him and the blessings overtake us. But if we pursue wealth, if that's caught our heart, if we consume with that, it's idol worship. When you live in these vices, you ignite the anger of God against these acts of disobedience, against the acts of disobedience. It's like the father saying to the child, not you are naughty, but what you're doing is naughty. We, we bring the consequences, we bring the judgment, we bring the correction of God around our life when we're pursuing the wrong thing. Not you are bad, but what you're doing is wrong. That's how you once behaved, characterized by your evil de deeds. But now it's time to eliminate them from your lives once and for all. Anger, fits of rage, all forms of hatred, cursing, filthy speech and lying. Lay aside your old Adam self with its masquerade and disguise. For you have acquired a new creation life, which is continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you, giving you the full revelation of God. In this new creation life, your nationality makes no difference, or your ethnicity. It doesn't matter what country you were born in. It doesn't matter what tribe, what people group, what family you're from. It makes no difference. Your education nothing. Your economic status, they matter nothing. They matter nothing. Don't get caught up with that stuff. Don't worry about that stuff. It doesn't matter. For it is Christ that means everything as he lives in every one of us. Amen. If you enjoyed this message, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. We'd also love to hear from you. You can connect with us on Instagram or Facebook at Celebration Raro or visit our website celebration.atonga.com. Until next time. <laughs>